I hope you're all doing well. We are especially wanting to welcome those who are joining us for the first time or for the first time in a very, in long, a very time. long time. <laughs> and those that are joining us online as hey, well. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for the service. Are we really excited for this morning? We expect and we've got Bryce in the pulpit coming up to preach, so we are very, very thrilled about that. And we're also excited to hear what God's going to say to us personally through the various aspects of our service. And if you're joining us for the first time or first time in a long time, we've mixed things up a bit. Uh, we are wanting to be characterized as a church by what the early church was in their love for Jesus, which was four things. I wonder if those who've been around for a little bit can uh, help me out here. What are the first or the four things they were devoted to? First and foremost, the apostles. Teaching. So we're going to have the Word Bryce, of God. Bryce, no cheating, no answers from the start. <laughs> Bryce, no, you're, not, you're not an apostle, but you're preaching the apostle's Word, which is grateful, grateful for. We also are devoted to the fellowship. fellowship that's right. That's right. And so the kids, can you give me a shout out this morning? Kids, give me, yeah, are you all here? There we go. It's wonderful to have you with us. There are no separation in generations in the Bible. And we believe God can speak to the youngest and the oldest. And parents, your kids are here because you get to be the primary people in their lives that build faith into them. And so they're going to be a part of this first part of our service. And then what else? We devoted to the breaking of bread. And the Easter coming up, Easter services are going to be centered around the cross and enjoying communion. Okay, what's the last one? one? Devoted to the? The prayers. To the prayers. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do... There's something very important for the parents in the house. So if you are the primary faith builder of your family, you might be an aunt, you might be a gran, you might be um, a, a godmother, or which, whatever it is. It could be masculine too. It doesn't have to be feminine. <laughs> but we've got something very special for the kids this month. What's happening? So every couple of weeks, we send out a bag of curriculum into our homes. We call it Faith in the Bag, and it um, is a whole bunch of curriculum and a family devotional that you can do at home to pass on faith to your children. And it follows along with the curriculum that we're doing here at church so that the children are receiving one continuous story as we uh, journey them through the whole Bible in a year. And so we are now heading into the, the last few chapters. We're going to go through Easter and then into um, the life and works of the disciples. And so it's not too late to join in. We're really hitting the most exciting part this week as we look at um, the death and resurrection of Christ. So if you would like to get a hold of that curriculum for next month, we need you to sign up by Wednesday. And so you can head um, to a link that um, is on screen, hopefully. Otherwise, you can phone the church office and Debbie or I will sign you up. And then we will even deliver it to your post box to make it as easy as possible for you to make use of that in your homes as you disciple your children. And if you like me, parents who feel a bit out of their depth in how to disciple your kid towards Christ, this is a brilliant way. It breaks it down step by step. It's a resource in your hand that is life-changing for your child. And I do want to remind you, parents, you don't have to worry too much about who must I share my faith with uh, because you've got your kids in the home and they are your primary responsibility as a mom and dad. And to make the most of it, we don't have them forever. And let's be a blessing to them and help them find Christ at a young age. What Speaking else is coming up? Yes. sharing faith, Matt, yes. we're heading into Easter weekend. And our theme for this year is A Hope to Share. And so we're going to be running services on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. If you would like to join us for any of those, please do pre-register. A space is limited, but we don't want that to stop us from inviting our friends. And so we have made a plan that if we exceed our 100 capacity for this venue, we will simply overflow into our children's hall where we can seat another 50 people socially distanced as their own separate gathering. And so please don't let numbers stop you from sharing the hope that you have in Christ with your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues. Invite them to a service. We will make space for them. If you are one of our diehard die uh, regulars, I might just kick you out under the tent to make space for a guest. We'll make but it work. We should be willing to do that But if we think that this hope that is uh, right. worth sharing is worth sharing. And so please do take up that challenge and that invitation to invite your friends and join us on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What time are our services, Matt? 8 o'clock on Good Friday and 10 o'clock and then normal service times on Sunday. So please be aware of that in signing up. All right. And just one last uh, important factor for the parents of young children. On Good Friday, we're only running our next-gen uh, program at the 8 o'clock service. And so if you have small kids that you would like to come and participate in a separate program, please do sign up for the 8 o'clock service. If you bring them along to the 10, then they'll be joining the adults for the whole service, which is only an hour-long service, so it's actually not as challenging as you might <laughs> be anticipating. Thanks so much, Kerry. All right, so church, we're going to go into time of praying together as a sign of our devotion to the things that uh, Scripture calls us to. And over this last week and a few weeks, actually, God's been talking to us about sharing our faith. And as an eldership, we really feel strongly that God is calling SBC to share what Jesus has done in our hearts with those around us, with family, with friends, with colleagues. 
And so this Easter has a strong outward look. And if you remember last week, I uh, asked us to take a moment uh, to be quiet before the Lord. And we were trusting God that he was going to put names on our hearts, maybe one, maybe more, of who we can tell about what Jesus has done in us and who we can invite to that service. And so I'm going to nudge you again. If you like myself, you did it last week. I've done mine. Uh, if you haven't done yours yet, that, that person I want to nudge you this morning because I really feel what God wants to encourage us with is the story of the mustard seed. How many of you know the mustard seed story? Hey? Um, I won't read it. Or maybe I should read it to you here so you know it's not coming from my head. It's uh, one verse. And uh, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom, and I want to remind you that that's what we're seeking as Christians. We want to seek first the kingdom of God, and we want to know what it works and what it looks like and, and, and how does it operate in this world. And Jesus says this, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? How does it work? And to what shall I compare it? And he says, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Or Matthew's account says it becomes the largest garden plant. One of the things that stop us from sharing our faith is it feels so insignificant. Either you feel insignificant, like what's this person really going to do with my story of how Jesus has changed my life? What's it really, can it really change a life? But I want to remind you this morning, church, that the way the kingdom loves to work is through small, insignificant moments, and he loves to work through people who feel insignificant for the task. So if you feel like that this morning, welcome to the club, your perfect material God loves to use. And I want to remind you, for the Christians in the room here today, how you found Jesus. Mine was a simple conversation with my mom, and my life changed. For you, it was a friend that took the time to tell you about Jesus. Or it was a moment when you got invited into a church service. And you're like, okay, to get this person off my back, I'm going to come. Don't be discouraged or be put off by small moments. That's how God loves to work. And friends, today, last week, we prayed for mustard seeds. I've sown mine. My prayer this time that we're going to have together is that it's going to grow into something special for the Lord. But I'm confident that as we step out and do things feeling insignificant, they might be small, God's going to use it because that's how God loves to work is through master seeds, all right? Can I ask us all to stand? That's where you are. Now, if this is new to you, you can feel totally comfortable. You just stand where you are. You close your eyes. And maybe if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, your prayer tonight is a master seed moment of saying to Jesus, would you show me who you are? Would you reveal yourself to me? I'm open. Or if you're here as a follower of Christ, we're going to take a moment again to close our, our, our eyes and we're going to ask God to put a person on our heart that we can share our faith with. Remember, it's just how Jesus has come into your life or invited to the, the Easter service. So we're going to do that. We're going to take a moment and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for courage. Courage and opportunity this week for those who are still going to share, and for those who have, for God to really be at work in those master seeds. And then we're going to pray for Easter. Not just for our church, but the church across the world. We're going to pray for God to come and move. All right, so let's close our, our eyes. Let's take a moment. Uh, we've been praying for you this morning. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, would you put pictures of faces or names or people on our hearts that you want us to be a blessing to you? and to sow a mustard seed in. So take a moment. Is there a name? Don't discredit it. If it sounds crazy, don't, don't write it off. <laughs> Could be someone you really don't like. Okay. So we're going to take a moment, and you can do it however you feel comfortable. You can do it on your own. You can turn to the person next to you. You can do it as a family. Children, this is for you. Is there a friend that you want to share Jesus with today? And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for three things this morning. One is we're going to pray for courage and opportunity. And we're going to pray for those that have sown that those seeds would grow. That's the second thing. And the third is we're going to pray for Easter for God to move powerfully across our city and in our church, okay? So one minute of your best prayers, out loud, silent, however you want to do it, God answers prayer. This is a mustard seed moment. Let's sow well. You ready? Let's do it. Lord, we're thankful for mustard seed moments, and that's how you love to use mustard seeds, God, like you and me, in this uh, 
room today. God loves to use us. And we pray, Lord, as a church, even from the youngest to the oldest, we would lay down our reputations. We would lay down our pride. Lord, you have brought so much good into our lives through our responding to Jesus. And you gave us that opportunity through someone. We pray would be that someone for someone else. And Lord, we ask again, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to find Christ, we're asking that you'd move. As Bryce is going to come and preach, we're praying, Lord, for the believer and the not yet believer in the room here. Lord, might it be a mustard seed moment where there is dramatic change that comes through not only hearing the word, but doing it, responding to it. As Bryce preaches, he's got a word in his heart for us. As a church, it's in season, it's right. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning. And make us grow, Lord, in, in faith, but also in number, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Won't you please be seated, children? You're going to head out, and uh, you're going to be served well by the next-gen team. And uh, we're going to ask uh, you guys to go. There you are, at the back. Right up there. All right, I want to introduce quickly. Sorry, Laurie, I was going to steal your thunder. <laughs> this is Bryce. Bryce is, oh, my mask, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is Bryce. This is Bryce. And um, he's a great blessing to us. He's a youth intern. He's flourishing. He is, uh, he's a post-grad intern, and uh, he works with our youth. And um, I just want to honor him on team. If there's one guy that is living what he's going to preach on today, it's Bryce. He has a heart for the lost, and he has a heart for discipleship. And so, uh, Bryce, we really just want to commend you this morning for the way that you're running on team. And uh, Bryce has shared this word on his heart. It's prophetic for us as a church. I want you to bring your best ears and your best heart uh, to the message. And um, Bryce, we're really grateful for you this morning. Go for it. So, thank you so much, Matt. Good morning, SBC. I hope you're all doing really well. Um, as Matt mentioned, I'm a youth intern here at Sterling. And I've titled today's message, The Evangelistic Nature of Jesus. So no surprises there, we will be speaking about evangelism. And what that word means um, is that it comes from the Greek word euangelion. And what would happen is this word would be used when two nations would go and they would clash against each other. Whichever nation would win, they would send out messengers throughout the whole country. And that would be the euangelion, this good news that our king has been victorious, they have won, and the battle is over. And that is now what we do as Christians, is we don't just send out this message throughout the country, but in fact throughout the whole world that our Savior, Jesus, has been victorious. And as we heard this morning, we feel that God is really shining His light on this area of evangelism for us as a church. And one of the reasons why we are so passionate about evangelism here at Sterling is because we also see that Jesus was passionate about evangelism. So that is what our message is going to be centered around today. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, you can start turning to Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. And you'll notice that it's a rather large portion of Scripture for today. And the reason for that is because we want to get the context of what is really going on in, in this text. And as you get there, you'll probably realize that it's a very well-known text, but probably for some of the wrong reasons. Because this is where Jesus goes and he confronts a demon-possessed man. And he is very demon-possessed. He, he calls himself legion, implying that he's got 6,000 demons. And as much as this is a rare phenomenon, it's not something that we often see in Scripture, I just want to remind you that all of Scripture points us straight towards Christ. So what we're going to be learning here is not about legion. He's not the star of the show. Jesus is still very much central to this text. And we're going to be learning new things about him and his nature. So, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the, the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, 
do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described, it, described to them what, they had, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boats, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So this is an extremely interesting text that probably covers a few things that we don't normally see in Scripture. And historically, people have tried to hijack this text as some sort of a way to um, find out how to conduct exorcisms or to speak about legion as the main star of this text, but that's certainly not the case. The main star of this text and every other part of every verse is still Jesus. And so the, when we see a powerful enemy like this, like Legion, with his 6,000 demons, who's able to quickly sh uh, snap shackles and chains, what we can expect to see soon afterwards is Christ's power rising up to completely conquer anybody who raises himself against him. But we have a few questions that rear their heads straight away from this text. And the first one would be, who were these people east of the Jordan? And why was Jesus going to them? You'll notice that Jesus has a very set approach. On, he's very focused on who he reaches during his earthly ministry. At one stage, a lady asks him for help, and she's not one of the sheep of Israel. And Jesus says, I was sent only to help the lost sheep of Israel. She keeps persisting. She asks Jesus, please, won't you help? And his response is that it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. So we see that he's really focused in who he's reaching. So again, who are these people? And in Numbers 32, we get our answer. These are the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that came to the Promised Land, but they did not settle in the Promised Land. They saw that they, there was a lot of land there. It was good for flocks. And so they spoke to Moses and they said, we have lots of flocks. This land will do perfectly for us. Can we settle here? And Moses says, as long as you help your brothers and sisters clear out the Promised Land, then you may. But stubbornly, they don't go and settle in the promised land. And that is who these people are. They are stubborn, but they are still God's people, and he hasn't forgot them. And so he sends Jesus to go and to reach uh, his people. The next question that should spring up straight away is, if these really are God's people, why are they farming pigs? We know that God's law strictly prohibited them from having anything to do with pigs. And yet here they are farming pigs. And they have got a lot of pigs. It's not like there were 10 or 15 oinks busy going around on the hill. There were 2,000 pigs. And straight afterwards, the town gathers together and they say, Jesus, please will you leave us? Which probably implies that there were a lot more than 2,000 pigs on those surrounding hills. And they didn't want those to, to end up like the first lot. But regardless of their disobedience in following God's laws, regardless in their of their stubbornness in not settling in the promised land, God still goes out of his way to go and to reach his people, and he sends Jesus to them. And that leads me to my first point for this morning, and that is that Jesus is our example in evangelism. This is not the first time that we see Jesus going out of his way to go and reach lost, fallen, sinful people. Right from the very beginning, he has always been going the extra mile, going out of his way to go and reach fallen, sinful people. And the reason why is because of his incredible love for these people. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, Paul tells us that Jesus did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped and to, held on, uh, to hold on to. But instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so 
this goes far beyond Jesus just getting into a boat and traveling across the river and reaching this village or uh, walking a dusty road, reaching that village. He went and he emptied himself. He left heaven and everything that that entailed and he took on human flesh to pay the ultimate price for us. So Jesus really sets the pattern here for us because nobody can leave more than Jesus has. Nobody can sacrifice more than Jesus has. Nobody can go further than Jesus has when it comes to going out of your way and reaching the lost. And so we should also really just follow our Savior, this one that we really claim to follow. We want to do the things that Christ did. And one of those things is going out of our way to reach the lost. Next, we see that Jesus quite literally leaves the 99 to save the one. You'll notice from our passage today how many people were saved. There was only one. And he leaves the promised land, he leaves the 99 to go to this little disobedient, rebellious village farming pigs and he goes and he saves one person. We see that Jesus lands in the area and as soon as his foot hits the shore, this demon-possessed man, we told in verse 2, immediately he comes from the tombs and he sprints to Jesus and he falls at his feet. And Jesus goes and he rescues and he saves this man. And straight away afterwards, the town gathers and they, they've heard both sides of the story. They're aware that this person is saved. They're aware that the pigs are, are now dead, but they are not at all happy. And so they ask Jesus, please depart, leave from our region. We don't want you here. Building onto Jesus being our perfect example in evangelism is that Christ sees spiritual realities as his priority. I'm going to say that again. Christ sees spiritual realities as his priority. Now, what do I mean by that? What I'm meaning is that when Jesus looks at a person, he sees whether a person is going to heaven or hell as the most important thing about that person. And so should we. You'll notice very carefully that when all the dust is settled, everything's happened, the pigs are dead, this guy is redeemed and saved, the town is gathered there. We don't see Jesus apologizing to the pig farmers. Hey, listen, I'm really sorry. Pig farming took a steep nosedive in the last few hours. None of that. Jesus has no regrets. And what this shows us is that Jesus' priorities are completely correct. It's this village that is wrong. Because they go and they see everything that's happened. They go, oh my word, we lost our pigs that we shouldn't have been farming in the first place. That is what they're looking at. We are too in love with our pigs and our money and our businesses to actually see what has really happened in the situation. And what has happened in the situation? Just look at the condition that this person is in today. In verse 5, it says that he is cutting himself with stones day and night and day and night over and over again. He's living among tombs. And what we'd expect to see is that this town comes together and they throw a party and they celebrate. Man, this one person who was previously lost, who was doing that to himself, living among tombs. He's naked in one of the other passages. And he's busy cutting himself. He has now been freed. He's redeemed. He's saved. And he's following Jesus. But they don't care at all. They are too worried about their small little world changing. They don't want Jesus to interfere. So we need to see, just like Jesus does, people's spiritual realities as our main priority. My second point for today is that we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. So when we go and we look at this demoniac in the story, we get quite a shock because he's in a radically terrible place. But I think what we, what we really fail to see is that we are just like that demoniac before we come to Christ. We're just like him. We are naked before God. There is no righteousness that we have in and of ourselves. There's no good deed that we can try to muster up so that one day when we stand before God, we can hide behind that. In, in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, it tells us that we are actually incapable of doing good. And so we make terrible decisions as well. We hurt people around us and ourselves, just like this demoniac who cuts himself with stones and then cries out and wonders why he's in pain. And so often we read the story and we think, shame, that poor guy, he really needs saving. That poor guy, he's in such a bad state, he really needs a savior. But I need you to see that prior to you coming to Christ, that is just like us. That is like every single one of us. And we try to minimize our sin. We try to trivialize it and justify it. But in reality, it is, it is that bad. 
Sin is that bad because it makes us just like that maniac. Sin is not just some little inconvenience or something that you slowly work through as you go through life, something that holds you back. It is something that separates you from God. And for that reason, it is incredibly serious. And when we see the contrast between this sinless Savior, Jesus, rocking up off the boat and going and confronting this person, and he's there in a long flowing robe, and then we see this demon-possessed, naked madman living in the tombs, cutting himself with stones, we realize very quickly that there is a huge difference between these two. We realize that, man, he needs, he needs a Savior. And so that is why it is so important for us to realize that that is us in the story. And I also want you to know that it's a good thing that you see yourself like that. Because if you don't see yourself as somebody who is in need of a Savior, you won't think that you ever need saving. And that's certainly not the case. We don't want to be like the village. The village thought that they didn't need saving. And they were so in love with their pigs and their money and everything else that they had going on in this town that they had the Son of God standing there with them. And they said, please leave us. Depart from our region. We want nothing to do with you. Don't be like the village. Maybe you find yourself listening to this message today and you, you've had thoughts about crossing the line of faith, but you know that you're not quite there yet. Maybe one of the thoughts at the back of your mind is, I'm really afraid of becoming a Christian because I don't want to be punished. I don't want God or anybody else to know about all these things that I've done, and all these past sins. I want to encourage you to look at the story, at what is happening. Who is causing the pain in this person's life? This demoniac. He's the one. He's the one making these, these decisions. He's cutting himself, and then he's crying out. He's wondering what's happening. It is not Jesus. And it reminds me of a, a book that I read recently by John Bunyan called The Holy War. Very interesting book, very symbolic as well. And I'd, I'd recommend you read it if you get a chance. And what's happening in this book is one of the main characters is called Diabolus. And basically, he's Satan. And he's got his little demons and his underlings that follow him around wherever he goes. And he really wants to attack a city which is very precious to God. And the name of the city is Mansoul. And that's obviously symbolic of a man's soul. And so Diabolus goes and he infiltrates the city. And the first thing he does is he kills the sentry, the watchman of the city, so that he wouldn't sound the alarm and let everybody know that something's wrong here. And then there was only one person left who was against Diabolus, and that was a man in the city named Conscience. And Diabolus doesn't kill Conscience straight away. Instead, he goes and he befriends Conscience, and he begins to poison him. He takes Conscience to the bars and the pubs, and he gets him drunk. And then he gets him to contradict himself. And he gets the whole town. He says, look at how conscience contradicts himself. We shouldn't be following him. And naturally, the whole town turns towards Diabolus as their leader and their, their person over the town. And what he then does is he, he deposes all the people that have leading positions in this town. He gets rid of them and he puts his little underlings, his demons, in those positions. And he begins to torture people throughout the town down dark alleyways. He tortures them. He does terrible things and wreaks havoc on this town. But not everybody knows that terrible things are happening here. And one day, Jesus pitches outside the wall and the town goes into an absolute panic. And they go to Diabolus and they say, what must we do? Jesus is here. And he says, quick, beg him that he would not torment us, that he would not torture us and hurt us. And so that's exactly what they do. But Jesus very calmly looks at Mansoul and he replies, it is punishment enough that Diabolus is your leader over you. And that is exactly what is happening in the story here as well. Jesus is not waiting to punish you. He's not waiting. He did not get off this boat with a massive stick in the one hand. And as he fell before Jesus, like, right, your time is now. No, of course not. He loves the lost. And he goes out of his way to save the lost. And he's not waiting for, with punishment for you as you return back home. The next thing that you need to see from the story is that only Jesus has the power necessary to save us. Only Jesus. If we look at, we look at this person, the village had tried everything that they could. Big, cold, hard chains. We're going to chain this guy up and stop him from hurting himself, try to control him a little bit. What good did it do? None. Nothing at all. He just snapped them as though they were nothing. And as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, that is so familiar. It just sounds exactly like what we love to do. We love to try to turn our lives around by fixing things on the outside. And so we go and we follow the seven steps to a better you. Anything that is short, quick, 
easy to do, requires minimal effort, man, we are in. We're there. But it's exactly what Matt said a few weeks ago, that there is no lasting change unless there's been a conversion. No conversion, no lasting reformation. And so it's pointless if we try to just reform, 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 change things on the outside when Jesus hasn't first changed our hearts. And that is exactly what takes place in the sermon today. Jesus comes and he changes a person's heart completely. And you might ask, like, okay, was there any real change? Yes, there certainly was. For this person, a real change for him is that he was in his clothes. Massive change. That he was no longer living among the tombs. He, he was seated, and for the first time in a long time, in his right mind at Christ's feet. Amazing. Was it a lasting change? Yes, most certainly was. As Jesus was getting onto the boat to leave and go back to the promised land, this person begs Jesus, and he says, please, let me follow you. Let me be one of your disciples. I want to learn from you. I want you to teach me, and I want to see you at work. And Jesus, after redeeming this person totally and irreversibly, he turns this person into an evangelist. And he goes and he, he sends this person back out to his friends and his family. Once he's been redeemed, he's, he's put to work straight away to go and reach his friends and his family. And we are told in verse 20 that he goes out and he proclaims in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the end result is that everybody marveled as they heard this person. And that word decapolis is very interesting because it comprises of two words that are pushed together. Deca, meaning ten, and polis, which is a word meaning a town or a city. So what we actually have here is somebody who was demon-possessed, who was living on the outskirts of a town. He was rejected and cast out, living in the tombs. And he is naked, humiliated, ashamed. He's cutting himself with stones and crying out. That was his previous way of life. Christ comes and he redeems this person. And now he's roaming around an area 10 cities wide, clothed in his right mind and telling everybody just how much Jesus had done for him. Just what incredible mercy God had shown him. This, this should be comforting to us. I'm sure every single person here has friends or family members that they know have not yet been reconciled to Christ. And if Christ can save this person, he can save anybody. And he can. He can save to the uttermost. I guarantee that none of our our lost loved ones are in a worse a worst position physically than this person, this demoniac in this story. He takes the cake. But if Jesus can save him, he can definitely save anybody. So don't stop praying for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that they would really grasp what Christ has done for them. And don't stop shining your light for them. There's a true story of a sailor who was on a sinking ship. And as the ship was going down, the power went out through the whole ship. All he had with him was a headlamp and a life raft. And so he took the headlamp and he tied it around his wrist. And he would stick his hand down below decks through a door. And his crewmates who were on that, that level would see the light and they would sprint towards it. And the moment they got there, they would latch onto his arm and he would hoist them up to safety. That sailor that night saved 20 people just before the ship went down. And we now found ourselves in a very similar situation where we are also on a sinking ship. There is not a single person who will live forever in their physical bodies here. And below decks, there are many people trying various things to save themselves. Some are trying to claw their way through the steel hull of the ship, trying to work their way, earn their salvation, and it will never, ever work. There are other people below decks who are claiming that there's no such thing as a sinking ship. There's no such thing as eternal life. But as for you, Christian, you have been given the light of the world. And his name is Jesus. And as you go and you reflect Christ to the world around you and you shine for him in this dark world, you will see an amazing thing because Christ has a way of drawing people to himself. And you'll be able to witness to them and you'll have the privilege of seeing them as they latch onto Christ's strong arm and he also pulls them up to safety. Don't ever be afraid to shine your light. My third and final point for today is that Christ and the cross is our hope. And this demoniac, he is naked and he's ashamed, but he's also a picture of all of us. The Bible is very clear that we are enslaved to sin, that we're just naturally bent towards doing what is wrong. 
and that we are in need of a savior. We just sometimes struggle to see it. Not when we view ourselves as the demoniac though. When we view ourselves as being just like that person before God, then we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are in need of saving. But my question to you today is this, and if you remember nothing else from this message, I want you to remember this. My question to you is why? Why can Jesus forgive and restore this man from the story today? Why can Jesus forgive and restore him? And you see, our, our answer only really comes to us properly at the end of Jesus' life. Because that is where we see Jesus stripped, naked, humiliated in front of a crowd full of people. That is where we see Jesus as a prisoner. That is where we see Jesus beaten by Roman soldiers and tortured. That is where we see Jesus being isolated. We see him being cast outside of the city. That is where we see Jesus being crucified outside of the city. And while he is hanging there and he is suffering and in pain, he also cries out. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the answer. That is the answer. Why can Jesus forgive and restore this demoniac? Because he took his place. He exchanged places for that person and he took his place. And not just for the demoniac, but for us as well. Jesus took our place. He exchanged places with us and he did it for us. And he could come into this person's life and completely restore him and heal him. Why? Because he had paid the price for this person's sins at the cost of his own life. And then he bore everything on himself. He was stripped naked and bare so that we would be clothed. Sorry. He was rejected. He was cast outside of the city so that you would be accepted. So that one day, one day when you walk into heaven, you will be accepted into the open arms of God the Father. He's our perfect, our perfect substitute. And he's the only hope that we have. And he's the only hope that we need. Christ on the cross is our hope, church. There is no other. We need to see that we need the Savior. Pray, pray that your lost loved ones would have their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. Because what really changes a person's heart is when they look and they see all that Christ has done for them. Then they will be changed. They will repent and they will see. But it is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates people and He shows us exactly what Christ has done for us. And that is what we need to see today. We never move past the cross of Christ. And as I wrap up today, I just want to remind you and just sum up what these points really mean for us. Firstly, is that Christ sets the example. Christ has gone far further than any of us have. He has sacrificed far more than we have. And so we shouldn't be afraid to just make one or two little changes if that means that we are able to witness to other people. Next is that Christ sees spiritual realities as his main priority in a person's life. That means that whether a person is on their way to heaven or hell, is the most important thing about a person. And that we are to go and to reach these people. We care about them. We love them just like Christ loved people. And it motivated him to go out of his way to reach them. Let us be the same. Next, we need to see accurately what we are like in God's eyes. We are just like this demoniac. And we need to see ourselves that way so that we know that we need a savior. And if for those of you who aren't saved, we need to see ourselves like that. For those of you who are, Seeing yourselves like that shows you just what Christ has redeemed you from. That is what you were like. This is what you are like now. Christ can save you to the uttermost. And finally, the man in this passage today, look at the end result of his life. A life changed, once redeemed, is now sent out to an area of at least 10 cities to go and proclaim everything that Christ has done for them. We might not be able to reach those 10 cities, but what about this one? What if you went out and you witnessed to your friends and your family, to your, your people that you work with? Go and witness to them, just like this person did here. If you want to work towards something of eternal value, I encourage you, make it evangelism. Don't spend yourself and devote yourself on lesser things that will one day be torn apart and left. And as I close off, I just want to leave you with one final image. And that is that at Wheaton University, there was a play being put on at, at their college. And they needed a child to act in one of the leading roles. And so one of the professors said, I've got a little 10-year-old boy. You can use him. 
And it was one of the, the main leading roles. And so this little 10-year-old, he absolutely loved it. He made loads of friends with his, his varsity, with his varsity guys. And he gave himself properly to learning all the lines. And he lived among the props for this play. And the week of the production came, it went well, everything went on flawlessly. And uh, as they were closing off, last night it finished, he got into his street clothes and he was walking out and he wanted to have one final look at the stage. As he looked back, he didn't see his beloved props. He got a huge shock because he saw that the varsity students were busy destroying the props because they had to pack it away and they were busy ripping it up. And he said, Dad, I'm struggling to walk here. He said, I just need a moment to take this in. He said, I just, I absolutely loved it, and I wanted it to last forever. And I'm here to tell you that that is a, a natural longing that we all have, that we want to enjoy the things that we devote ourselves to. We want to really enjoy them now while we still can, and then we want them to be reflected upwards so that we enjoy them one day in heaven for all eternity as well. And that is, that is a God-given desire, but it's also a desire that only God can truly fulfill in you. And one of the ways that you can do that is by reaching other people who you will one day see in heaven. Witness to them. Don't be afraid to shine your light. Be just like this demoniac who goes and he is redeemed by Jesus and he cannot stop telling the whole world about everything that Christ has done for him. Matt's going to lead us in a time of response. Let's close our eyes. Lord, you've spoken this morning. And there are two people in response to this sermon that you're wanting to call this morning. And again, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to introduce you to him. And the wonderful thing about him is he doesn't only save or he doesn't save perfect people. And as Bryce was preaching, is there someone here who, who wants Christ but doesn't feel worthy of him? If that's you this morning, welcome to the club. This demon-possessed man, out of his mind, in great suffering, was on the heart and mind of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet come to a place of faith in Christ, you're on his heart too. And he's here to save. Would you respond to Jesus this morning? Would you say to him, Jesus, you're my only hope. No human chains. I've tried to change. I've tried to do all these things. They don't work. I need to rescue me. Can you say that to Jesus this morning? He's here. And he's come for you. That's you. I'd love you in this next time where we're going to be singing worship just to come to the front and come chat to us or chat to us after the service. We'd love to be a blessing to you. There's some next steps you need to take in following Jesus. But if that's you, don't leave this place until you've responded to him. But then for those who have come to that place of following Christ this morning, this is the call of the Spirit at the moment upon SBC, upon you and me, is to share our faith. And so, Lord, this morning we want to respond to you. I didn't quite feel I gave enough time at the corporate prayer time. I'm just going to be silent for one more time. God has put people on your heart this morning. Who is it that God's asking you to share with? Your simple story of what Jesus has done for you. It could be a family member, a friend, a colleague. The application of this morning is when we leave this place, SBC, God's calling us to tell others what Christ has done and what a story. So Lord, I just pray your hand upon us now. Pray these words of Bryce and the message you brought through him to sink deep into our hearts. 
We're thankful. We know, Lord, what we're here for as a church and the blessing of the one that we hold out this morning. What a Savior. The kindness of God. What a reason to worship. And so I'm going to ask you all to stand. Would you stand where you are? If you've got a word on your heart from this morning during the message, you want to come share, you can come chat to myself during worship. We want to hear what the Lord has to say. I hope that you're feeling freshly inspired. This is why God has saved you. It's to be a blessing to others. And this morning, as we worship and as we're going to sing this next song, we're trusting God's going to stir our hearts to respond to the word this morning. Thank you. This is just a, a word the Lord's put on my heart, a bit of a word and a 
vision while we were, I was listening to Bryce and uh, being part of the service. But, and it's a word just to encourage. So <clears throat> we started singing a song earlier on about uh, liberation and we sang us and in that same song we, we sang about darkness. And I'm listening to Maddie make an appeal to someone in this uh, auditorium that uh, he believes doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm listening to Bryce uh, preaching about a demon-possessed man who Jesus set free. Jesus liberated him and he was no longer in darkness. And the person Maddie's talking about hasn't been liberated and he's living in darkness. And we as believers who now <clears throat> feel the Spirit is saying to us as a church to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder, perhaps we don't do it because we don't fully understand the liberation of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So this is the vision I get. I get this vision of uh, the Allied forces in Germany and they come along and they, they open the gates of those concentration camps the Jews found themselves in. God's chosen people in these concentration camps. I see the vision of uh, <clears throat> these Allied forces coming into Germany and they open the gates of the prisoners who were held captive in prisoner of war camps those people were liberated <laughs> they were liberated they were set free they no longer lived in that uh, darkness and that condemnation of those camps and those people chose folk they chose just as the demon possessed man chose he chose to step out of that condemnation and that darkness they stepped through the gates. And as that unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, you need to do that. You need to step through the gate totally and completely. You can't keep one foot in the camp and the other foot out. And us as believers that want to, want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to step fully out of the camp. And we must fully understand the liberation of Jesus Christ. And then only will we no longer be in that darkness. So Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus brought us out of the darkness. It's not a complicated thing. And he has set us free. And our responsibility is to be people who now fully understand what he's done and fully go with courage and boldness and confidence because the Holy Spirit will give that to you when you face to face with an unbeliever and step out in the freedom that it's given us and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just hope that's encouraged you because it encouraged me as I was sitting there in the chair here this morning. Let me walk upon the 
made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith would be made stronger. Jesus. 
We bless you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity of slowing down and hearing your word. Lord, we thank you for the excitement that comes with following Jesus. You never let us stay the same. You never let us settle. And Lord, you know that you're speaking to an area of our lives where we feel fresh challenge this morning, but also, Lord, fresh encouragement. That, Lord, although we're called to share, you do the saving. So grateful that to provide space for mistakes and imperfect uh, sharing and fumbling. Lord, it doesn't matter. It's faithfulness you call for. And you love to use mustard seeds like us this morning. And so this morning, God, I pray as we go from this place, might there be one thing on our minds, an awareness of opportunity to tell people the simple story of what you've done for us, Jesus, and how you want to do the same for them. And so we bless you. Seal these words in our hearts. Might we be expecting this week? Might we be leaning on you? Give us new eyes with the relationships in our lives, new hearts for those around us as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 8 o'clock, we're in for an exciting week. I hope that uh, you're going to be keeping your eyes and ears open to opportunities. If you want to join us for coffee afterwards, please do. Well done If you for taking all the pamphlets last week. If you wanted to share the gospel, like a tract, Bryce is saying to a cashier or security guard or whoever it is, just slip it in there when you pay. Uh, we're making these available. We got cleaned out last week. There's some more at the back. And looking forward to spending Easter with you. If you haven't booked, please remember to do so. And we'll see you in a week's time. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great morning.